welcome to Christmas special for the Midnight Snack. Uh, this is Candice. You've probably not heard my voice before. I am creator and one of the writers of the Midnight Snack. And we are um, doing something really exciting tonight. So that's me. And also on the call, we have... Mackenzie. <laughs> Eating pizza. Mackenzie, tell us what you do. Oh, um, in the Midnight Snack, I voiced in season one mm -hmm. i voice i mean there's a season two what myrtle and isla and additional voices amazing i'm jonah and i voiced harry well voiced <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry <laughs> he was more confident than i am so. <laughs> uh my name's joe i voiced anton stanley and uh, the PC chief, I can't remember his name. I also helped write and edit and any other jobs as well. I was taxi as well. Writer of microphones. Yeah, microphones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Ashlyn. You also have probably not heard my voice. Um, I helped write some of the script. Some of the funniest jokes as well, accredited to <laughs> Awesome. Um, my name is Carolyn. I voiced Denise and I am encourager extraordinaire. <laughs> Head cheerleader. <laughs> All right. And then I'm Kaylin and I voiced Josie and um, I don't know what else I do, but I do my best. <laughs> you wrote a lot. You helped write, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so this evening we have all gone Secret Santa and we have picked someone's name in this group to write a story where that person is the main character. And we don't know who wrote for us. And so first on our list, she's going to read her story and then she's going to guess who wrote it, um, is Ashlyn. So Ashlyn, yeah, knock yourself out. This is going to be <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I'm going to try to put on my best podcast voice. Um, <laughs> okay. Ashton rolled her eyes at the scene in front of her. I guess it's as good as it's going to get. She sighed while moving under the neon yellow hazard tape and into the crime scene. Right. What's happened here? She began, one hand clutching a steaming hot chocolate whilst the other shooting an air gun at her partner, Jimmy. <laughs> well, Olsen, we're not sure. That's why we called you in. Three young males identified as 16 to 18 years old, varying, varying ethnicities. What's strange is there's no weapons on the scene, no drugs no or substances, nothing we can point it to, Jimmy replied, waiting on Ashlyn's assessment. She scanned the scene, hawk-like eyes peering through oversized glasses and around strands of rogue blonde hair. The rigor mortis of the body had contorted into strange foreign shapes, and yet there was something so familiar. She drew in, shining her torch across the limbs and trying to make order of the chaos. The victim's left elbows were all bent in the same obscure way, each forearm pressed against pale, youthful cheeks, the other arm straight up in some kind of pagan salute to the sun. Then it hit her. He was back, the killer that had haunted her since childhood, the reason she had enrolled in the force. She stumbled, spilling the hot chocolate across the concrete floor of the warehouse, her gasp echoing around the edges of the scene. Olsen, Olsen, what is it? Jimmy rushed in. He's back, Jimmy. He's back. I thought it was the end. He's out killing again. Who is? Heck, Olsen, what's going on? Um, <laughs> the dabber of Dabre Street. <gasps> no, but it can't be. I thought he disappeared years ago. So did I, Jimmy. 
So did I. Ashlyn didn't sleep that night. Not since the case of the kissing cooties. She had been frightened so, or so frightened to her core. Frightened of what? She didn't know. The dabber of Dabre Street was linked to a series of murders on the east side in the mid uh, 2010s. Leagues of teenage boys being forced to dab their death by a maniac, a madman who knew no end to the bloodlust or the bloodlust of death by dabbing. But then it all stopped when Ashlyn was in her final year of school. The disappearances disappeared. The dabbing slowed and it seemed like the horror was over. She went to college in Utah and although she saw elements of the, of the culture sleaze its way to, to Provo Bros and you of you lads, death was never a consequence of an innocent dab. Uh, she moved to London where dabbing was but a simple joke to her sophisticated elite friends. It was an endearing feature that Ashlyn had. She would use it appropriately, a sign of her youth as her friends went in and out of lockdown, ate cake in the rain more than once, and finished her master's. She was struggling to believe that almost a decade later, in her early 30s with a stellar career and a stay-at-home husband to her two-year-old daughter, she would have to face her fears and solve the hardest case yet. It was 3 a.m., and in the glow of her laptop, the Zoom glitch settings to the... Or, with Zoom glitch settings to max in order to escape meetings with the excuse of bad Wi-Fi, her Wi-Fi was in fact very good, a secret she had kept tightly hidden away from her workspace, her workplace. She had started to find information. Pop culture columns, Tumblr posts, Dab Man is our hero, flashing up between pictures of scenes with or of scene kids besides things. Her adolescent love of meme culture put her as a leader in the field of teenage homicide investigations as she scrolled through the mindless pages of Twitter and Reddit. She worked out the timeline. Dabbing had been a feature of Japanese popular culture for decades, used in the 1990s anime series Dragon Ball Z, where the character Gohan, as the great Saiyaman, occasionally performs the dab move. The K-pop group uh, Crayon Pop also appears to have performed the dab dance in the early 2010s, and so does the American group Por Poriotics in 2010. Uh, a slight variation of the dance move also appeared this several times. Like, wow, who knew? All of yeah, I was like, I, I'm learning, I'm learning so time. much about myself. A slight variation of the dance move also appears several times in the music video for Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal <laughs> from 1988. But what caught Ashlyn's eye more than anything else was when Jason Derulo taught Dreams Corden how to dab uh, during the November 4th, 2015 edition of Carpool Karaoke on the Late Late Show with James Corden. November 4th, 2015 was the first death linked to Dabber of, of Dabray Street. Also, if you do okay, Jimmy. No, Ashlyn. Ashlyn like, has a habit of dabbing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've never seen her this is great because I feel like whoever, yeah, she, she dabs a lot and it's great. <laughs> I can't stop. I don't know how to untrain my hands. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, Jimmy, I have a lead. Ashlyn burst into the office, donut in hand. Hit me, Olsen. This case is super bizarro. Jimmy mumbled back through his mouthful of donuts. <laughs> um, November 4th, 2015 was the first murder. The two boys on the corner of 8th and 9th. Do you remember? Frozen like they had been paralyzed with fear in the position of a dab. 8th, or 8th of August, 2016, a group of Boy Scouts near the Bear Claw Pass frozen not only in snow, but in the same position. The 23rd of March, 2017, the entire sixth grade class of Sweet River West dead. 22nd of August, 2018, Jenny Smith, Sweet 16, Tommy and Billy never came out of the closet from their 27 minutes in heaven. Instead, they were frozen in that same position. 
Then on the 20th of December, 2019, the last murder and perhaps the most sinister of all, poor Polly Putineski, I think I said that right, volunteering at the homeless shelter when mid, mid soup scoop, she rose and as if possessed and froze in the dab. Olson, this is all great information, but I don't understand what it means. Where are you going with this? I looked at any patterns that I could find, Jimmy, any training tweet, hidden code, and there was one pattern that came clear to me. 4th of November, 2015, is the day that Jason Derulo taught James Corden how to dab on national television. <laughs> now, it got me thinking, who would have known the horror that awaited both of them when Catch the Movie was released? And Jimmy, you'll never guess, Polly P- Putineski, she died on the premiere of the worldwide release of Cat. Olsen, no, you don't mean, oh, Jimmy, I know, but it's true. 23rd of March, entire sixth grade class, the first ever late night with James Corden. 8th of August, Boy Scout Bear Claw Murder, International Cat Day. 22nd August, Denny's Sweet 16, James Corden's birthday. It all points to one thing, James Corden is our murderer. (laughs) (laughs) He appears in everything. (laughs) It's not done. <laughs> okay. Ashland stood in her kitchen, her smart fridge flashing the headlines as she made porridge for her family. Hun, I don't know how you do it. Sucks you don't get the credit, though. Her wildly tall, handsome, and clever husband called over his shoulder as he fed an airplane of porridge into their daughter's giggling mouth. Ah, uh, you know, that's just the job. But this one is pretty satisfying, I won't lie. The headlines flashed across the screen. James Corden, famous British celebrity, comedian, and the star of Cats, the biggest flop of the century, sentenced to life in prison and found guilty of the dabbing murders. And from that day, Ashley made a promise with herself. She dabbed her last and would never dab again. <laughs> Brilliant. Well done. Yes, you did it now? Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ashley's going to guess. <laughs> Oh, I have to guess? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think it was Candace. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> hey! That detail Great was job. intense. I well know. done. I hope you enjoyed it. You have a really tall, handsome, clever, rich husband. <laughs> I love that. I, yes, I thank you for that. And for my also a stellar career. So this is yeah, a problem. Yeah. Right? Also, yeah. your, like your love of meme culture highly influencing your success. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my gosh, your homework! What the heck? Like, I, I had no idea that dabbing was so ingrained in our like. Wow, this is yeah, really an art form. Copy this from Wikipedia. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this, this is very specific. I also didn't know where I was going. I started. I started writing, and I was like, yeah, dabbing. Like, oh, she's the dabber. She must go into crime. And then I was like. <laughs> I was like, wonder what dabbing started. And then the last sentence is like, Jason Derulo. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Derulo. Derulo. And I was like, actually, no, I can work with this. Like, I was like, who's going to be the killer? I don't know at this point. So like, Wikipedia is really the killer in the end. Amazing. <laughs> well done. Beautiful. Well done. Um, I think she's going to go next. Oh, great. Okay. This looks really fun. I agree with it. Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, guys, it's in French. All right. Oui, oui, oui. Je m'appelle Candice et je. Huh? Huh? 
Je ne peux vous adhérer. Je ne peux vous adhérer. The man, the man just stares at her with his droopy, death yellow eyes. Je m'appelle Candice et je peux vous adhérer. She offers him this time as a question revealing the smallest sound of doubt. Nothing, just that impossibly droopy, deathly yellow stare. Je m'appelle... The man starts to turn away, and with him, his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> As you would. Eyes <laughs> <laughs> just stay there. Wait, she shouts in panic. He pauses, only pauses, and then continues on his way. Oh my gosh, yes, guys, it's a choose adventure. Candace is now. No <laughs> A. Choose to follow the man with the droopy, death yellow yes. eyes. B. Choose to stay exactly where she is and watch the man with the droopy, death yellow eyes does next. Or C. Choose to shake off the moment of rejection from the man with the droopy, death yellow eyes <laughs> and go to the donut stands and tell her donut she's been dreaming about all day. Ooh. The rules. Before Candace chooses, she must understand the rules. There will be no cheating, no reading ahead or picking the best choice. Candace may only increase the font size of the parts she has chosen after she vocally commits to the group which she has made, the choice which she needs to make. There will be no going back. That's life. Or say la vie, as they say in French. <laughs> um, I'm going to follow the man. Guys, we're locking in A. Wow, the font is tiny. It's teeny, teeny, tiny font. Oh, that's really common. I'm on my computer. Do you need me to do it for you? Or? Um, I think I got it. She takes a okay. step forward to follow, but he's gone. He's vanished, evaporated, <laughs> disappeared. Gone proof. Gone poof. That's it. Um, disintegrated into nothingness. Ceased to exist. Melted away. Is only but a memory. Only empty space remains. No matter how many ways she thinks about what's going to happen, no peace comes. Only a silent, irate chuckle at the many different ways she can describe a disappearance to the police. <laughs> will I go to the police? Candace, oh, will I go to the police? Candace mutters to herself. Bonus, oh, Candace is now left with the choice. Does she A, go to the police or stay where she is and think? Wow. Uh, B, she's gonna stay. She's gonna ponder this a bit so more. Amazing. Can I just say, I just feel like, Candace, you would have gone for the donuts. I think you might. <laughs> <laughs> You would have been like, no, I want a donut. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Should I go? I want to finish this invention. Maybe you go back finish that invention, then go back. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, B. No, she says with a loud, frank abandon. What can the cops do? What can the cops do that I can't do on my own? <laughs> Candace steps forward into the exact spot that he disappeared, and channeling her inner cop, as she just did, um, pulls out her mobile and begins to make a voice memo of all the details she noticed. Oh, all the things that I noticed. Oh, hang on, hang on. I'm not reading it. There's things in brackets, guys. I think I have oh, to add like, Read it to us. <laughs> you don't know what it says. The brackets. Everything I remember, basically, the, the story is telling me, it's encouraging me. It says, go for it, Candice. My audience is waiting. They're still waiting. Do I remember? Do I really remember? And that's the end. What's my conclusion about the disappearing man? So I have to. All right. I don't know what I remember. I need to go back to the donut, guys. I'm going back to the donut. Just you want to be donut. Donut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oui, oui, oui. Je m'appelle Candice. Et je parle. What's the last one? Aidy. 
I do. I do. Uh, the man just stares at her with, a droop, with his droopy, jaguar eyes. She offers this time as a questioning reveal the smallest of doubt. Nothing. Just an impossibly droopy, jaguar stare. Je m'appelle. The man starts to turn away and with him, his eyes. Wait! She shouts at the man. Only pauses. Uh, and then he continues on his way. I shake off the moment of rejection from the man with droopy yellow eyes and go to the donut stand and tell the donut I've been dreaming about all day. Option C, here we go. One Nutella filled donut, please. Candace asks brightly. The woman stares back at her with her bright blue eyes. One Nutella filled donut, please. Candace offers this time as a question, revealing a slightly panicked sound of doubt. Nothing, just so bright blue eyes staring back. One Nutella, the woman starts to turn away. <laughs> I put five rings down on the donut stand on the window's ledge, and the woman pauses. She glances back, those bright blue eyes flip down <laughs> to the five franc note under Candace's hand. Where did they use francs? Yeah. These euros, then. Yeah, in like. Who's euros now? <laughs> what time period is this guy? <laughs> well, I mean, with my accent, <laughs> she turns, elegantly plates a mouth watering donut. Nutella donut and passes it to Candace with a smile and a kind nod of acceptance. Candace accepts the donut with a mixture of relief, mirth, and annoyance. But as she takes her first bite, a wave of happiness takes over, and she forgets the man with the droopy, decadent eyes and forgets the one with the bright blue eyes. She lives in a world of a donut, and for a small moment in time, everything makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does! <laughs> Um, I'm glad I chose the donut. Um, for the for the spelling correction alone and the commentary, Joe. Is on yours? <laughs> oh, um, no, no, it was mine. You didn't know No. The spelling alone, Joe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> French. I asked Google to help me say what I want. <laughs> like a true French speaker. <clears throat> okay, uh, next on the list is Carolyn, actually. Oh. That worked out really well. Okay, okay. Our story begins with a somewhat youngish girl. <laughs> girl in a town not too far from the one we are in right now. Carolyn had just arrived home and was taking off her shoes. Her Australian roommate, Cameron, <laughs> walked out <laughs> down the stairs. 
years and asked, how was it? Straight in that sentence. Oh, uh. <laughs> she's giving up really. Oh, was it? Is he putting <laughs> 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 looked up and replied, "It went just about as well as it could have, I guess. It was a close cat. It was a closed casket, but a nice service. <laughs> Only one week ago." <laughs> Only one week ago, Carolyn had received the dreadful news that her great aunt Myrtle had passed away. Myrtle's passing had been running through Carolyn's mind over and over again. The two of them were incredibly close, as Myrtle has pretty much raised Carolyn since she was a child, which is why when Myrtle was diagnosed with dementia, she begged her mother for permission to become Myrtle's full-time carer. Carolyn's mother, Josephine, strongly disagreed and put Myrtle in a care home instead. This didn't stop Carolyn from going to visit Great Aunt Myrtle almost every day. On their visits, they would walk through the home's luscious gardens under an oak and tell stories. However, as time went on, the stories Myrtle would tell became even more ridiculous each and every time. Stories about hidden treasure, gold, and lifetimes of wealth. On Carolyn's last visit to to the home, Myrtle seemed extremely distressed and agitated. Carolyn asked what was wrong, but Myrtle wouldn't say. She just turned to look Carolyn in the eyes, grabbed her by the hand and said, they lied to you. Everything has been a lie. Don't trust anyone, especially those closest to you. Go back to the start and you'll find everything you're looking for. She then lightly places a small black metal key in the palm of Carolyn's hand. <laughs> Have you seen this? <laughs> Young Cameron from the kitchen. Cameron is an Australian who is Cockney. Carolyn uh, <laughs> staggered over to see what it was. Another notice has, has had been posted th through by the council. They were late again on the council tax, along with their water bill, electric bill, phone plan payments, and so much more. Cameron and Carolyn were struggling to keep their heads above water with money and bills. On top of her great aunt's death, Carolyn honestly thought she had hit rock, rock bottom. Then suddenly, there was a knock on the door. Carolyn wandered over and opened the door. It was her mother, Josephine. They rarely saw eye to eye on anything, and frankly, Josephine was the last person Carolyn wanted to see. Josephine barged her way in past the door. What a tragic day, truly it was, said Josephine. <laughs> really, I didn't realize you and Great Aunt Myrtle were that close. You never went to visit her. Of course I was close with her. Family is family, after all, Josephine remarked spitefully. I just wanted to pop around and see how you were getting on and and ask if perhaps your great aunt Myrtle left anything behind. Josephine's eyes then began to wander around the room, searching for anything unusual until they landed upon the black metal key purchased on the end of the dining table. Carolyn locked onto what Josephine was staring at and suddenly remembered the words of her great aunt. Don't trust those closest to you. Josephine slid the key from the table and into her pocket, then said, no, nothing at all. 
Josephine glared at Carolyn, then said, Oh, really? Is that so? I guess I'll just leave you to it then. I'll be in contact soon. Don't worry. I'll show myself out. Josephine stomped her way to the door and slammed it shut. What on earth was that all about? <laughs> muttered Cameron. <laughs> Carolyn then quickly explained about the mysterious key and the last words of Myrtle. Are you serious? exclaimed Cameron. Do you really think your great aunt was serious? Or was she just talking rubbish because of the dementia? <laughs> At first, I really didn't know, said Carolyn. But after what happened, I'm beginning to think that maybe there was some sense to what she said to me. Maybe when she said that they had lied to me, she meant they had lied about Myrtle even having dementia. Maybe she was actually fine all along. I have to look more into this and find where the key belongs. She looked over at Cameron and then they both said, I guess we'll have to go back to the start. Carolyn and Cameron both agreed that going back to the start meant going back to the career to the carer home where all lies began. <clears throat> Carolyn recounted all the old stories Myrtle would tell her, and they went straight to their usual spot underneath the old oak tree. Carolyn stood there for a while, looking round and back down at the key. None of this made sense. Going back to the start to find everything you're looking for? What did all this mean? Cameron sighed looked over at Carolyn and said, are we just wasting our old time with an old key and words of a crazy lady? Carolyn sighed and was about to give up hope and suddenly she remembered, this story's my great aunt would always tell me we're about treasure and gold. What if what we are looking for is actually buried? Carolyn and Cameron grabbed two shovels from the uh, carer's home cleaning cupboard and went to work. They dug all day and all night. The both of them were exhausted and ready to throw in the towel. Then all of a sudden, Cameron hit something hard. It wasn't a rock. It was something wooden. The pair of them began to dig frantically to get the wooden box out. Once enough soil had been moved, they pulled the box to the side and saw a tiny metal keyhole, perfect for the black metal key. Carolyn glanced at Cameron and said, I guess this is the moment of truth. Anxiously, Carolyn put the key in, in and twisted. The box unlocked and revealed hundreds and thousands of glistening diamond gems. The two gasped, not believing their eyes. They're more beautiful than I could ever have imagined, snickered a voice from behind them. The two turned to see Josephine, stood right above them, holding a loaded pistol straight between Carolyn's eyes. Thanks for doing all of the dirty work, you two. Made my job a lot easier. <laughs> Chuckled Josephine. <laughs> Why would you do this? You said family is family, Mom. A family isn't worth the price of diamonds, child. <laughs> It's a shame you'll never come to understand this, child, <laughs> when you're dead. <laughs> no! exclaimed Cameron as he bolted to his feet, picked up his shovel, and swung it straight at Josephine's neck. Josephine dropped to the floor with blood oozing out of her. Thanks, Cameron. I can always count on a friend like you, <laughs> said Carolyn, 
panting and relieved. Count on me. Can you, Bo? Cameron picked up Josephine's tongue and pointed oh, it. No, wait, Dad, <laughs> Cameron, no! I thought we were friends. I thought we could trust each other. Are you the one my great aunt warned me about all along? Yes, fool. I've always known about your great aunt's treasure. I've been in love with you for years, but you would never accept me as more than a friend. And if I can't have you, no one can. And I'm going to take the treasure too. I'm sorry it has to be this way. Cameron was just about to pull the trigger when suddenly, whack! <laughs> shovel went straight down into Cameron's neck. His body dropped to the floor to reveal. Myrtle? What are you doing here? exclaimed Carolyn. I always wanted to share my treasure with you, but there were too many people wanting to steal it. So I had to fake my death to get everyone to back off. Now we can share my wealth, pay off your debts, and live in peace, said Myrtle, reassuring Carolyn. And they all lived happily ever after. They all, too, lived happily ever after. <laughs> That was the performance of a century. I was that just kept getting deeper and deeper. <laughs> <laughs> felt like a like a Disney Channel reject. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> Disney Channel would never. That story was freaking brilliant. That was great. Who do you think wrote it? I think it was Jonah. Wow. Well done. <laughs> right. Some very, very good writing. Yeah. yeah. And he was only as good as the performance. So. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's the whole time. Sorry, I could not channel Kev the Cop. Out came Larry the Cockney, and that's who Cameron was. <laughs> certified Australian. I was mildly offended, but you know, we'll let you off the hook. <laughs> where, did you, where did you come up with the names, Jonah? <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought of Cameron because of Candace, and then no, I was like, oh, no, 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 get out of town. <laughs> I thought that murder was represented Kenzie, and then Joe Josephine. You were Josephine? Really? I mean, no, you were this there, just thought of like, I need another name. I was like, Joseph, <laughs> Josephine. It was very obvious to the name. <laughs> that was visual representation. You look like a village woman. I would. <laughs> I, aka my brother. Oh my gosh, amazing. That's funny. Um, well All right, here we go. Um, sorry, sorry, really quick. Can that be my new tagline for the midnight snack? A somewhat youngish girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love that. So, good. so good. Ooh, we have an anonymous cormorant. Cormorant on the on the document. Yeah. That's cool. I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> you better not cry. Caitlin thought to herself, crashed behind the cocoa bar. No crying, no pouting. It's the last thing you do. Okay, I feel called out already, but um. <laughs> Kaylin Sheldon was your typical girl from Sugar Plum Town. She knew every rule to follow in order to make it on the nice list. Brush your teeth for the two full minutes, stand on the right, pass on the left, always tip your waiter, and whatever you do, 
do not cry. Do not pout. She and every other child raised in Sugar Plum rehearsed these platitudes day in, day out. She could almost list them in her sleep. As Kaylin walked to work at the candy cane factory, she could almost hear her grandmother's constant warning. He sees you when you're sleeping, but he, but think he doesn't, or don't think he doesn't. You best be good, Kaylin, for goodness sake. But Kaylin had a secret. She always felt like an outsider in Sugar Plum. Determined to set her own path, bend the rules, drum out of time to the little drummer boy's monotonous rhythm. And this year she decided to do it. She would finally show everyone she wasn't afraid to break the norm. Maybe if I show everyone it's possible to do something different, they'll be brave enough to try too. There was one reason everyone in Sugar Plum followed the town rules so strictly. The big man. I mean, the big fat man with the long with a long white beard if he if he caught a whiff of insurrection he'd come to town and only the nicest would survive <laughs> caitlin had never not once in her life actually seen the big man sometimes when she was alone in the earliest hours in the morning under the safety from under the safety of her duvet caitlin would wonder if the big man even existed at all maybe he was a fable made up by big dentistry or night shift security guards Despite her wonderings, Caitlin had always heeded her grandmother's words until today, because today was special. Today was the one year of when Sugar Plum ran out of Caitlin's favorite brand of chocolate milk. They never bothered to restock on 365 days without her favorite sweet liquidy treat. Today was the day Caitlin was going to pout. Do not cry. Do not pout. Kaylin's grandmother's words rang in her ear, but today Kaylin would finally disobey. She would express her emotions in a healthy way in order to grieve her chocolate milk. Then perhaps she'd be able to move on. Then maybe all of, all of Sugar Plum would see that they didn't have to be nice all the time, or at least they didn't have to be nice out of fear. What if he does come to town and worried for a split second as she entered the large candy cane factory and saw at her desk in the quality inspection department, but no. She wouldn't conform to the big fat man with the long white beard any longer. She would be her own woman, a pouty one, just for a day. <laughs> Sat at her desk, Kaylin took a deep breath and allowed the, allowed the corners of her mouth to droop. Her lower lip protruded out slowly until it hung heavily down. Kaylin's brows moved slowly toward each other at first. But the closer they got, the faster they moved, like magnets kept apart for too long. As as her brow knit in disappointment, Caitlin felt an acute sense of relief. This was pouting. This was naughty. What a thrill. In that same moment, in that same moment, the light went out. This was strange. The candy cane factory's energy system was immaculate. They'd never experienced any issues before. Suddenly, a, si a siren wailed through the cinnamon-scented air. It's him! Someone screamed. It's him! He's coming to town! The factory broke into chaos. Workers and patrons began running about, crashing into things and trampling over one another to get out and seek safety. Who's done this? Did you cry? Did you pout? Caitlin could hear people screeching above the panic. She ran up a back staircase to the upper levels of the factory. They were always abandoned. Surely she'd be safe there. As she climbed, she thought she heard something over the wail of sirens. Could it be sleigh bells? Caitlin's blood turned to ice. She climbed faster. As she arrived at the cocoa department, she allowed herself a moment to breathe. She saw the cocoa bar where she'd hidden away with a good book on countless numbers of breaks. She dove behind it now. The screaming and shouting and running had died down, replaced by an unsettling silence. Caitlin wondered for a moment, could it be? Was it over? Had she done it? 
But in that moment, the door burst open and then <laughs> the neigh from a reindeer cut through the silence. Hiding behind the cocoa bar, Kaylin held her breath. How many reindeer were there? Surely her grandma had been exaggerated with cautionary tales. Surely not all eight. Kaylin leaned to one side and tried to catch a glimpse of the reindeer. As she did, she felt a candy cane in her pocket. She pulled, she pulled it out and began sucking on it to calm her nerves. <laughs> Suddenly, a thud. Like a big man with leather boots jumping out of a sleigh. Was it all true then? How could I have been so cavalier and careless? But all this over one little pout? Kaylin, she could hear him moving about slowly. His black boots beat slowly and monotonously in time, just like that annoying little drummer boy. Let me check my list then, just once more, shall I? I'm quite certain I know exactly who I'm here for, but it never hurts to be sure. Twice as nice, that's always been my motto. Santa. His voice boomed out, causing every cell in Kaylin's body to shake. She sucked harder on her candy cane. Let me see. The naughty list. The naughty list. Haven't had to check this in years. But I guess one little girl just couldn't follow the rules, Santa hissed. Could she escape? If, if she jumped out the window, could she survive the fall? Or would the reindeer just fly down and catch her anyway? There it is. Naughty list. Kaylin Sheldon pounding. Didn't anyone ever tell you, Kaylin? No crying, no pouting. You better not cry, Kaylin thought to herself, crouched behind the cocoa bar. No crying, no pouting if it's the last thing you do. Kaylin sucked on her candy cane and willed the tears welling in her eyes to evaporate. You didn't think I'd see this coming. For months I've seen it coming, Kaylin. Or did you forget? Oh, I see you when you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. I know when you're hiding under the covers making plans to pout to revolt <laughs> and that is very naughty indeed his words boomed in echoes for miles rage filled kaylin's heart as she felt this sick sickly sweet niceness oppression tighten around her as the tears of fear turned to tears of fury kaylin leapt from behind the cocoa bar there he was head to toe in velvet red the color of blood kaylin could feel rushing through her veins pumping adrenaline rebellion through her system you can't expect people to be nice all the time. It's controlling. It's unrealistic. And always this always watching thing is creepy. Why don't you buzz off, Santa? Ah, but Kaylin, now you've broken both of the most of the two most important rules. You better not cry. You better not pout. Santa lunged for Kaylin. And in a moment of intuition, Kaylin grabbed the candy cane from her mouth, stuck to a lethally sharp point, and pierced it through Santa's heart. No, Santa screamed. That was very naughty. Yes, well, I'm afraid you're not very nice either, Santa. Kaylin said Santa slumped to the floor in defeat. Sugar Plum thrived forever after. People were still very nice. Sometimes they were a little naughty too. Sometimes they only brushed their teeth for 90 seconds. Sometimes they pouted when they felt like it. Kaylin's favorite chocolate milk brand came back to town, so she was thrilled. And Santa Claus never came to town again. Hey, love that. Can I just say that rant of Kaylin's? I felt like was very well represented of what you would have said in that moment. It was great. Oh, yeah. Like your voice. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's probably like a diary entry. Goodness. It was like foreshadowing with the, the candy cane because, like, they get real pointy. They get, they yeah, get they sharp, do. man. They do. If, you have, if you have, like, siblings, yeah. you know how sharp they get. Like, can I just say, I think the writer was George Orwell. Like, flipping it, that was very, like, Animal Farm. I was really <laughs> <Yeah. impressed. laughs>
Well, that being said, Joe, I think you're the one that wrote it. <laughs> I'd like to compare myself to George Orwell. That's something an English teacher would say. But to, to compare myself to George Orwell is a very big <laughs> It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Okay, Ashlyn, was it you? It wasn't me. Oh. Mackenzie? Yeah! Oh, no way! That was amazing! I loved it. Thank you. That was awesome. Find the song. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, um, Joseph Walsh. Oh, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh. Okay. You guys wrote a lot. <laughs> I was impressed by my face. <laughs> um, would you like me to come close to the? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> the way you just saw. Actually, you get excited. So, um, okay. <clears throat> All right. Let's just remember Carolyn's youngish girl first line. Okay. <laughs> this is this is my. Legends persist throughout the ages of civilizations, past of creatures unknown and of places uncharted. And this particular temple was one of such legends. What remained of the old temple ruins stood intertwined with vines and leaves of emerald and gold hues. The entrance stood both invitingly and guarded, beckoning intrigued travelers to pass its threshold, but also ominous foreboding as the opening only held darkness ahead. But for one man, the mystery inside would soon be unraveled. Step, this is great, by the way. <laughs> Stepping out of the thick of the trees and vines was none other than the seasoned adventurer Indiana Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Manchester's very old. Sporting a brown leather jacket, tawny trousers, fedora, and a snazzy but sensible backpack, Indiana Joe was determined to prove the existence of this temple once and for all. And after years of laborious research, he knew just how he was going to do it. Inside the ruins, there lay a shrine with a small golden idol that would provide the perfect, indisputable evidence of the existence of this shrine. Once he claimed it, he figured it would he would donate it to a museum. Perhaps the British Museum would want it, considering that it was definitely known for its unproblematic, diverse collections. <laughs> oh, and fiction. <laughs> Joe, Joe approached the entrance and, stuck, uh, and struck a match to light a torch. The flames casting golden silhouettes across the first temple chamber. He caught a breath at the eth uh, ethereal beauty. Eth thank you. Ethereal, ethereal beauty of such a rare sight. But that novelty quickly wore off when he felt how hot it was inside the temple. Why did I decide to wear a leather jacket and a fedora in a place with 100% humidity? He muted aloud to himself as he dropped, uh, dropped them by the entrance and then trudged inside, following after the guiding light of his torch. He dodged the arrows that flew from bows built in his buttresses, tiptoed with precision around the sunken stones that gave way to moats below, flooded uh, with murky water waters and hungry crocodiles with jaws wide open in anticipation. At the end of the uh, dilapidated stony corridor, there, there lay that golden idol of a rather petite man with a thin whiskey mustache, craving a bucket of what appeared to be fried chicken. <laughs> 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 this, 
This mysterious man without a name who once worshipped as a god by the people who once frequented this holy ground. At last, Joe would have proof of the existence of this temple and he'd have like a really cool story to bring it up at parties. <laughs> as Joe knew with his expertise, the idol was deceptively light despite its bulky gold appearance. From his research, Joe had <laughs> surmised that the idol weighed approximately the same amount as a bag of limited edition Doritos 3D crunchy spicy ranch flavored corny chips, sorry, corn chips, if not a little bit less. Carefully unzipping his bag, he reached down and withdrew a fresh bag of these limited edition Doritos 3D crunchy spicy ranch flavored corn chips and steadied his hands, preparing to make the swap. On a second thought, he paused and opened the bag to eat a few of the chips to balance out the weight. But the moment he tasted the chips, he was overcome with the delicious tangy flavor at just the right amount of kick. Why did he use these delicious limited edition Doritos 3D crunch spice around Can I just say, I think whoever was writing this was eating limited edition Doritos 3D crunch <laughs> at the time. He should have used some more ordinary snacks to abandon in these ruins, but alas, he had no other choice. So he steal himself away, switch out the bag and the idol. Within the blink of an eye, Joe swapped the idol with the bag and for a moment all was still. He had done it. He had made the exchange with success. As he turned his back to leave the way he came, suddenly the altar sunk into the ground, vanishing into the depths of the moat below. The entirety of the temple seemed to sway and shake, threatening to give way at any second. The corridor through uh, which he had previously entered was now blocked by massive boulders and rubble that had crashed down behind him. Joe stashed the idol into his bag and quickly ran the opposite way, following another narrow corridor, praying under his breath that it might lead to salvation. The walls seemed to creep closer and closer together as he ran, until suddenly a large gap in the ground appeared before him. Without, without taking time to think, Joe leapt forward, flipping his body across the open space as he did so, as he did so until his feet planted flat on the ground. Joe, after landing the perfect double back, <laughs> Joe, after landing the perfect double backflip, was impressed with himself for a moment. That sounds like me. And stepped forward with an extra spring in his step, immediately tripping over that sounds like me. Immediately tripping over loose stone and falling flat in the ground. Well, at least no one saw that. I did, echoed a voice from just ahead. But when Joe looked, he couldn't make out anyone in particular. But saw a silhouette lurking in the shadows. It looked like. A man. <laughs> <laughs> Having lost his torch from before, Joe blinked the darkness and fumbled around for another match. When he struck it against the wall, he nearly reeled back at the ghastly sunken face before him. His eyes flickered up and down, taking the stranger's ensemble chainmail and long white hair. He couldn't hold back his surprise at seeing the old man. Oh, my days. He must have been down here for centuries. To his surprise, the old man shook his head. No, I'm just kind of stressed <laughs> about life and stuff. I'm actually 26. This sounds like me. This is just a part-time job while I, while I pay for my vet school. Joe now worried. Sorry. Joe now worried about offending the poor guy. Stutters out an apology. Oh, my bad. Okay, well, but you are dressed. Why, but why are you dressed like a knight? I go laughing on my days off. <laughs> I'm business. The man's <laughs> The man snapped his fingers and suddenly the room filled with light, illuminating a round table filled with a variety of small circular baked goods. <laughs> okay. What you see here is your test. If you choose correctly, you may leave this temple. If not, you will be determined to perish here and rot for all eternity. Listen, this is a very important question. Don't get it wrong. <laughs>
Joe, Joe looked close and examined the contents of the table. Before him was a wide variety of what he would consider to be biscuits. <laughs> Just as the word biscuit crossed his mind, the knight spoke again. What you have before you is a physical <laughs> manifestation of one of humanity's greatest queries. The debate among scholars and academics, philosophers and poets alike. Something that only the greatest minds dare to dismantle. What you have before you are a variety of baked treats. Some may call them biscuits, while others may call them cookies. Your task is to let, is to select the cookie among the biscuits and eat it. If you choose the right one, no harm will befall you, but the wrong one will be poisoned. <laughs> I do make it out alive, I think. That's funny. Oh, does he? <laughs> Well, Joe examined the spread before him, identifying some of the snacks. The classic, digestive, the reliable shortbread, the delicious Oreo. But for each one, his, uh, but for each one, his identified. Uh, it seemed that more and more followed. Sorry, but for each one he identified, it seemed that more and more followed. There were far too many, and after a while, they all seemed to look the same. He hadn't come across anything like this in his research, and now the strange man held his very life between his hands. But, but this task doesn't really make sense because all biscuits are cookies, but not all cookies are biscuits, Joe exclaimed in exasperation. How so, the knight asked. Well, you see, a biscuit is a dry and crisp or hard bread in a thin platform without raising either, almost like a cracker. The knight furrowed his brow. Are you mansplaining biscuits to me? Mackenzie this whole story is just tied the past 18 months ago. <laughs> the recap. Yeah. Oh dear. No, 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 I would never mansplain. I'm not like <laughs> <laughs> no, no, other guys. <laughs> frustration. He was caught in the conundrum, but perhaps, maybe just perhaps, he would negotiate. He would He would negotiate. Sorry, he would negotiate his way out of it. Tell you what, why don't I just make an exchange? Offered the Joe, the strange man, digging into his backpack for something. He had the idol, but there was no way he was going to give that up. He had a packed lunch, but his mom, his mom had made it for him before he left. She'd be furious to know that he had skipped his lunch while on such an important That is my mother. And Scrambled through his bag, the knight simply scoffed. I doubt there's anything so precious in this world that would make me give up my sacred duty to guard the precious biscuit. Joe reached into his edition. Sorry, Joe reaching into his bag, withdrew a second bag of limited edition Doritos 3D Crunch Spicy Ranch flavored corn chips, and the strange knight fell silent. The only sound in the room coming from the slight cringle of the snack bag as Joe opened the top. 
and that delectable aroma of the tangy and spicy ranch waft through the room. Are those the limited edition Doritos 3D cream spicy ranch flavor chips? Curious night question. Oh, these? Why, I guess they are. Joe mused while rotating the bag around like a glass of wine to appreciate the scent. You know what? That'll do. Gimme. The knight stretched forward his gloved hands and greedily snatched the bag from Joe. While he shoved a handful of the delicious rare chips into his mouth, he kicked open a back door and pointed towards it. You'll go out this way, he spoke to the three mile hole. Joe breathed a sigh of relief and walked forward, eager to breathe the fresh air outside of these dusty rooms. But he paused for a moment and then turned back to his knight, who was now licking the Dorito dust off his fingers. <clears throat> so what was the right answer? She just couldn't let it go, could I? <laughs> so, so what was the right answer? She, knight, the knight swallowed and cast a heavy stare at the various treats on the table before turning back to Joe. To tell you the truth, the knight smiled with a mirth so cold that it sent chills down <laughs> Joe's back. I don't remember which one isn't poison, so I just say it depends on when you're on where you're from. But there is no universal truth when it comes to baked goods. Mm. Only that the best memories are you guys. Only <laughs> that the best memories are made when you share them with the people you care about most. Joe shook his head slightly and made his way out through the hidden door, and soon felt the sun beaming down on his face. He had his victory, found the idol, and proven the existence of the lost place. Yet somehow it felt hollow as he pondered the question over and over again, never, never able to come up with a suitable answer. Perhaps the world will never truly know the difference between a biscuit and a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> I I thought wow. these stories are incredible. <laughs> They're so good. And I feel terrible for the person I wrote. <laughs> but, um Joe, not like other guys, <laughs> <laughs> That is my Instagram. Um, I think your new tagline should be that you like to eat corny chips. <laughs> I thought out loud. I was like, corny chips. Um, corny chips. Uh, yeah. There's only two of the people who can do this. Oh. I think there's three people. Mackenzie's... I think there's three left. Oh, you did. No, you didn't, Carolyn. I wrote Ashton. You wrote Ashton. Oh, of course, you did the beginning. It's either Ashton or Carolyn. Or it's you, it's Joe. Kaylin. Carolyn wrote for Canvas. So it's Kaylin or Ashton. It's, it's the only people that have a whole yes. Oh, or, or, or it's you, Joe. Did you write that yourself? Write <laughs> 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 myself under the bus. After giving that compliment. Um, I'm going to guess Ashton. No. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Kaylin. Very oh, good. Man. So good. <laughs> it was like that. It was all in good humor, but. Oh yeah, you're good. Don't worry. I was, I was very funny. <laughs> I want you to know, Kaylin. As soon as you were talking about this artifact, I was like, "That's totally Kaylin's baby." She was, <laughs> she's talking about those museum artifacts. Yes. Yeah, I think I might have given weird. myself away by brought up the British Museum thing. It was brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, I should have seen that. I just imagined Ashton eating these limited edition chips and going <laughs> this into the story. I do love Doritos, but no. Listen, one of my favorite lines of that was when the night fell silent. <laughs> when he like pulls out that bag of chips. I just love that as well. <laughs> oh wow. That was brilliant. That was such a good story. Oh my god, I agree.
Jonah, not like other guys watch. Go for it. Don't try that. <laughs> I'm a Walsh, but I'm not that kind of Walsh. <laughs> Not like I'm <laughs> this is not how Jonah thought he would die. Oh, grim. Right. He had barricaded the door and picked up a tennis racket, the only weapon <laughs> in sight, and settled in for a, for a long night. The banging on his door grew louder, drowning out the growls on the other side. How did I get here? It was raining when he left the office. He wandered through shoppers at Spitterfields, who were browsing through the food stands and ogling at different displays on the frosty windows. Cinnamon and peppermint swirled around his nose. It was as if the Christmas air was tangible. He hurried to the department store, pushing past other anxious shoppers until he found it. The sure SM58 microphone. <laughs> there were two left. Jonah grabbed the second to last, just as another hand shot out from the masses and snatched the final one. Jonah grinned. He didn't usually go Black Friday shopping, but this was too good a deal to pass up. On his way to the counter, he checked out. To check out, he spotted a surround, uh, surround sound system. It's almost like they're giving these away, he said smugly, grabbed a box. It wasn't state of the art, but once again, these deals almost never were never almost were almost as good as literally stealing. Cold air blasted him as he walked out of the store, fighting through his jumper. He wrapped his coat a little tighter around himself and began pushing carefully through the crowd of Black Friday pursuers, holding his new amazing deals close to his chest. The bus stop wasn't far, and it wasn't until he looked up to see if it was safe to cross the streets when he noticed it was snowing. Snowing? In London? He looked around to see other delighted citygoers gazing in awe at the sky. The air was electrified. Between the Black Friday chaos and excitement of new snow, people were practically humming with energy. The bus screeched his, uh, on its brakes, and holiday shoppers began to float off the bus, <coughs> sorry, allowing Jonah to step on with the crowd, waiting at the stop. He moved up to the top floor and sat next to an elderly man who, bless him, had forgotten to plug his headphones in. The man gave Jonah a wary glance and pulled his mask up higher on his face, scooting a few inches to the side. Jonah was able to catch a few words of the BBC broadcast he was listening to, although a lot of it didn't make much sense. There was a lot of chatter about the new variants, but another warning message about something else. People have been erupting in chaos, more so than typical Black Friday craze. Stay safe out there. The PM had promised no more lockdowns, which meant Black Friday was in full, full swing despite the new variant spreading through the UK population. Yeah, this is good time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Too soon, too soon. This could literally be right now. <laughs> Jonah watched the snow flurry past the window, adjusting his coat to allow some air due to the sudden heat from being crammed in a crowded Black Friday rush hour bus. As the bus continued to roll along to Wilson Green, he did seem to notice a few crowds of people that seemed more excited than usual. He made eye contact with one who, who turned its head suddenly to the bus and flinched. Something about the man's eyes seemed dead, more so than a usual Londoner. Joey <laughs> turned away quickly and watched as the groups surged across the street. The other bus riders seemed to sense the tension in the air and shook within their places anxiously. The bus finally lurched to a halt and Jonah stopped and he shuffled off the bus with the other commuters. He pulled his coat tighter around him, his bare hands suffering the biting cold from the snowy flurries billowing around him. He turned and began trudging home. He had only crossed the streets when there on the pavement he saw a body, a dead one. <laughs> <laughs> or so he thought. 
pounding in his eyes, Jonah cautiously approached the body on the path. Hello, sir, are you all right? Jonah's voice rang out in the clear, clear cold air and he took a few steps forward. The man didn't stir and Jonah crept closer. Are you hurt? Shall I call 999? He had reached out to carefully touch the man's sleeve when suddenly the head spun around as the crazy eyes he had seen from the safety of the bus met Jonah's. Jonah leapt back in surprise, struggling to hold on to his shopping. Sir, is something wrong? The man blinked at him and he glanced at the bags in his hands. Slowly, the man raised his arms and let out a gr uh, guttural sound, lurching towards Jonah. Startled, Jonah scrambled backward, darting across the street to avoid the stranger, who continued to pursue him, making noises that Jonah could only equate to zombie? Zombie story! <laughs> I mean, nope. everyone had joked about this in 2020, but no one thought it was actually, it could actually happen. How curious, Jonah thought to himself as he ran for his life. He was one, he was only a few hundred but a stick lance away from his flat when suddenly a surge of people rushed out from the side streets. They behaved much like a flock of birds, looking around to the snow, looking at around the snow curiously until they zeroed in on Jonah and his armful of sweet deals. In a similar fashion to the first man, the zombies raised their arms and began to chase Jonah, who started to yell in utter confusion and terror as he tried to dash to the safety of his home while slipping on the slick pavement. With frozen fingers, he jammed the shopping bag under his arm and fumbled for his keys, turning the lock and slamming the door closed as he felt fingers grasping for the collar of his coat. Jonah sighed in relief, taking a moment to recover before dashing up the stairs and into his flat. He threw the chair against the front door and began making his way through the house, looking for things with which to prepare for the imminent zombie over overtaking. What to do? What do I have? Jonah muttered anxiously, looking around the room. He finally zeroed in on his tennis racket and shrugged. It's as good as anything. What would I, why well, wouldn't I give for a baseball bat right now? But alas, Jonah was a citizen of the UK, not the great country that claimed <laughs> baseball as a standard pass. <laughs> I wonder who this will be. <laughs> he quickly ate a cookie from the counter, probably had chocolate chips in it, and munched on the snack as he began looking through the news to see if anyone had any tips. The news was blasted with similar reports on shoppers spring turning, shoppers, shopping sprees turning deadly zombies were attacking all over London. There was, however, one interesting, play, interesting place of advice he noticed. A Westfield, yeah, Westfield had blasted high-frequency sounds over the loudspeakers in an incapacitated, two incapacitated zombies and allowed the shoppers to escape. Jonah thought for a moment, then looked at his new purchases. There was one thing the USA could offer to help this poor English lad. <laughs> Quickly, Jonah plugged the microphone into the speakers and turned it as high as it could go, ignoring the feedback hum as the microphone waited to pick up sound and spit it out in gloriously crystal clear decibels. He fumbled through his phone until he found his music app and hit shuffle on his country playlist. <laughs> the best effects is had if one cues up country music and one's phone was playing during the next, this next part of a dramatic reading. Someone said I'll put a country song on for anything. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> is there a song you recommend me on? Oh, let me go to my country playlist. Ash, okay. Oh, is it country road? In time for the first few bars of Jack Brown Band. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh. Well, we'll go with this one. Jonas swung his tennis racket 
definitely, uh, definitely not unlike a lightsaber. He caught eyes with the red grime Funko Pop on the wall. He nodded and whispered, I'll make you proud, Rick. After all, he was a well-versed in zombie movie lore. With hours of observation under his belt, time to put it into practice. Zombies crashed through the door and immediately put their hands on their ears as they were assaulted by the intense steel guitar and banjo. With a warrior cry, Jonah leapt forward and smashed his tennis racket into the closest zombie's head. It made a loud twang noise, to which Jonah cried, That's it, y'all! He searched <laughs> through the crowd and, and incapacitated zombies, swinging its racket widely to the beat of the music. The combined power of country and tennis was too much. The zombies began falling quicker than a horse fly in a Kentucky winter. The power of country flowed through him, and he found himself <laughs> shouting things like, Yeehaw! And howdy, partner! Don't mess with this cowboy! Despite his very English heritage, Zach's voice carried from the microphone and speakers throughout the flat and down the stairs, allowing him to force his way down and slow the zombies out of the way. By the time he reached the front door, zombies littered the ground. His tennis racket had been reduced to a metal ring sprouting out a splintered strings and music poured from the door. The country pride surging through Jonah's veins. He looked around at his neighbors who had begun emerging from their homes to see what the fuss was all about and waved his tennis racket. You all right? He asked. The neighbors squinted at the sky and made awestruck remarks such as, it's snowing in it. Look at that. <laughs> After a moment of enjoying the snow, they began calling, right then, have a good night, waving, her, waving as they shuffled back into their doors. Jonah picks his way back upstairs, carefully stepping over zombies and giving a few, a few that seemed to be stirring an extra whack. With a heavy sigh, he sat on the couch and picks up another cocky, listening to Kenny, Kenny Chesney crooning the background at a much more manageable level. That's the power of country in it. <laughs> wiping away tears. Nipples <laughs> 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 and weeping echoed in the studio space. Mackenzie's co-star came up to the incredibly successful actress and embraced her. That was amazing, the way you captured <laughs> the character arc and the tragedy, all in the words, sad, breathtaking, and brilliant. Oh, thank you. That's so kind, Mackenzie said bashfully as the two let go of each other. Mackenzie started to make her way upset as she knew it was only a matter of time before she was bombarded by fans and even the very people she worked with. Sure enough, within seconds, a swarm of crew and fans circled around, but there was only one who managed to catch Vogue's most talented woman of the year's eye. <laughs> Antonio was a cameraman who had to focus on many faces and only had eyes for one person on stage. Both Antonio and Mackenzie had been shooting glances whenever time would allow over the last couple hours of filming. But alas, fate wouldn't allow them to actually speak till now. Antonio, with his big bulging arms, or toned and slim, depending on how Mackenzie likes them. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
I managed to get to the front. Normally, Mackenzie manages to smile, slip, and slide past her many adorned fans. However, this time, Antonio has managed to get both her heart and feet to stop. <laughs> Hi, Antonio spluttered. Hey, responded Mackenzie with a calm confidence. Time stopped as fate enveloped the two in a moment neither would forget. I thought you were incredible. You make camera work very easy, said Antonio. <laughs> Thank you, that's very kind. I actually wasn't super happy with the last shot. Would you mind showing it back to me after work, replied Mackenzie. Shocked and delighted, Antonio managed to get out a, sure, I'd love to, I'll hang back after work. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, said Mackenzie, becoming increasingly aware of the swarm growing. You must excuse me. Mackenzie's adoring fans continued to grow, but Anton had read the situation, cleared a quick path, and watched on as Mackenzie was quickly escorted to the bathroom. Finally, some peace, Mackenzie thought to herself as she stared back into the bathroom mirror and looked into the memory of Antonio's eyes. Oh, he was nice. Echoed along, I was. Oh, he was nice. Long <laughs> Island voice. Oh no, not you," said a desperate Mackenzie. "Please, no. Can you just leave me alone?" said Mackenzie to an empty bathroom. Oh, you know we won't do that, Mackenzie. <laughs> How would we have any fun? Mackenzie grabbed the sink in front of her and stared right back at herself. Myrtle, you are a character I played four years ago. Why won't you leave me be? Please don't get involved with Antonio. He seems like such a nice guy, whispered a desperate Mackenzie. Mackenzie's face changed as it normally does when she flashes into Myrtle. A sinister grin crawls across her face and a fire lights in her eyes as Myrtle comes out to play. Oh, honey, hon, don't you worry about anything. What could sweet old innocent me want with Antonio? Bashfully replied Myrtle. Do I need to bring up Joshua? said Mackenzie, <laughs> flailing her arms everywhere. Oh, Joshua, I liked him. His bark was bigger than his bite, though I could almost see that grown man run to his mother, said Myrtle, letting out a devilish giggle. You do not know. There are parts of sorrow I can never go back to. <laughs> oh, well, you know, Tuesdays. Said Myrtle as a matter of factly as she could. Mackenzie blew up on a tuft of hair uh, covering her face. Rage and panic building up in her face. Need I mention Tom, Bradley, Jerry, Scott, and freaking Father Christmas? Scream whispered Mackenzie. It was Christmas and Mama needed her sugar cookies, defended Myrtle, but fine, I guess your point, I get your point. I'll let you have Antonio, said Myrtle like a little child. The two paused. At this point, Mackenzie realized her hands had been gripped in the sink quite tightly. Her hair was flustered and her breathing was heavy. A minute passed by, no one speaking, but the tension in the room. I had an Antonio too, once, you know, 
Dr. Myrtle. Yeah, I know. Read up to said Mackenzie. Ready to reach breaking point. Myrtle is offended and reacts so maybe to you. Myrtle somehow manages to get even more dramatic. The me was everything. He was my son, my moon, my people's republic. Oh, and those arms. Mackenzie had had enough at this point. Fine, I get it. I'm sorry it didn't work out with Anton, but please let me just have this one evening with Antonio. Like a stroppy teenager, Myrtle folded her arms, held her head up high, and said, fine, I'll behave. Exasperated, Mackenzie replied, thank you. After a minute of breathing and peace, Mackenzie managed to tidy her hair and pull herself together, wishing with everything she had that Myrtle would keep her word. Now over to you, audience. You choose. Does Myrtle keep her word? No. 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 No to page four. Another choose your own adventure. Ah! Oh, Mackenzie walked over to Antonio where he had fashioned some comfortable chairs, fairy lights, and welcoming atmosphere. Innovative, Mackenzie thought to herself. Hi, stuttered Antonio, clearly very nervous. Hey, said Mackenzie, reassuring Antonio she was happy to be there. The two spent the next half hour engrossed in conversation, laughter, and romance. Both had completely forgotten the lame excuse they'd used to set up their date, but both were very happy to be there. The two were laughing when, all of a sudden, Mackenzie let out a particular familiar snort when laughing. She caught herself, threw her hand over her mouth as her eyes widened. Oh no, she whispered to herself. Anton, what day go on? <laughs> <laughs> I also think we shouldn't skip uh, the the yes option. I saw it when we were scrolling down uh, on the page above. A yes option option just says you're boring and chose the wrong answer. Please go to the next page. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Can I say one of my favorite parts of that was when Myrtle was like, "He was my Anton. He was my son." <laughs> and I heard in my brain S O N, and I was like, "No, gross!" <laughs> I think my favorite part was when Mackenzie was like, "Yeah, he was made up too." <laughs> Not real. Republic. People's Republic. Oh my god! Oh, Thanks. Oh, Yay! I ask you, said quality for Bogues. Woman of yeah. the uh, most talented actress of the year. <laughs> so, most talented yep. of the year 2004. Yeah. Four years together, Mackenzie. Let's go. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, we have, you have a load of untapped talent in our life. Yeah, load. what the heck? <laughs> you guys are so good. How much yeah. talent, guys? We oh, did it. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry you feel the animals. <laughs> it's from all of us at Midnight Snack. Uh, thank you and good night. Good night, you guys. Good night. Good night. Good night.